Good morning, everybody. How are we all doing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a little bit quiet for St. Margaret's. <laughs> everybody okay? Good. That's good to, good to hear. We are going to use some um, technology this morning as, we, uh, as I talk. Uh, we're going to use a thing called Sligo. I'm going to be talking about loss and grief. And if you've got a smartphone or similar with you, you might want to just click into... Could you just quickly put up the uh, QR code for us? You might just want to click into that. The question on it is, what grief and loss have you experienced in your life? It doesn't show up a name or anything like that, but hopefully it'll build a little bit of a word cloud of the different varieties of grief and loss that we've experienced in our life together and just builds up a bit of a, of a uh, picture for us. So how does this all um, fit together? Well, you, you guys, I think, are a, a step further on than we are at Fountains uh, in terms of the um, process we've been going through with Emotionally Healthy Church. Oh, look, we've got some coming up already. That's great. So uh, we started out by saying that one of the things that we wanted to do was to look beneath the surface. So we've been exploring what it means to be emotionally healthy. And the premise of the book and our premise is that we can't be mature disciples of Jesus without actually being emotionally mature ourselves. So in this session one, we looked beneath the surface and we asked ourselves, what's going on in our hearts that Jesus is trying to change? Um, Nathaniel spoke at Fountains, I presume he probably did here too, uh, around what's going on. He talked about our life being like an iceberg with just the top bit of it showing, but actually there's huge depths to each individual one of us. Then in the second week, we spoke about how we think about breaking the power of the past. So us understanding that our past really influences the way that we behave and it influences the way that we love Jesus and the way that we love each other. And then last week, we thought about what it means to live in a place that means that we are living and serving out of a place of brokenness and vulnerability. So what does it mean to lead out of that place of weakness and vulnerability rather than through power and through grasping? Do you want to just slip over to my PowerPoint now? Would that be, would that be okay? You can, keep do, you can keep doing that and we'll flip back in a few moments and have a look and see what everybody's um, results begin to look like. So um, in emotionally healthy churches, people embrace grief as a way to become more like God. So we should understand that a, a crucial component of our discipleship is grieving our losses. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? So why would we say that? Well, we say that because actually it's the only pathway to us becoming more compassionate and becoming more like Jesus. So I'm going to ask Pippa now to come and read our scriptures to us, which is from the book of Job. So our um, Bible reading is most of Job chapter 1. It's um, verse 1 to 3 and then 13 to 22. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. 
He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people in the east. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up all the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Amen. Thank you. This is God's word. Poor Job. Um, Really kind of challenging for him in the space of one day, whether you take this as being an actual factual account or an ancient parable. Um, There's a message here from God that I think he's trying to say to us. I mean, in in the space of one day, his 10 children die suddenly in a natural disaster. He loses all of his wealth. Uh, He was one of the richest people in uh, the East at the time, so 600 years before Christ, the Eton Musk of his his time. And if we were to read on in um, in the book, then we would find that he loses his health to such an extent that he becomes physically unrecognizable. So any one of those things might happen to any one of us, hopefully not all at the same time as it has done to um, Jay, but we can go through a whole series of deaths over the course of our lifetime. We have a lot of losses, a lot of griefs. Um, And if we could just flip back now to your um, slide, let's have a look and see what we've got, what we've had around the congregation here at St. Margaret. So death of a child death of a husband, death of a parent, relationship breakdowns, failures, death of best friends, being focused, being forced out of a job, death of a brother, separation from friends, death of grandmother, death of my dad, cancer, uh, death of my mom, suicide, loss of health, um, death of a spouse, breakdown of friendships, whole variety of things there that you've experienced as a community. Other things might be um, perhaps the loss of childhood, um, that actually uh, for some people, the childhood that they should have had 
they didn't have. And there can be grief and loss over that. There can be various kinds of heartbreak. For us at Fountains, we had people saying war. War had caused grief and loss for them. So lots and lots of different things that uh, we all experience. And I don't know, um, as I get older, I kind of also am experiencing more and more the, the loss of my youthfulness. I can no longer do all the things that I used to be able to do in the way that I used to be able to do them. I'm kind of having to come to terms um, with the fact that life begins to look different. It goes through different different seasons. For me, at the moment, Dave's a bit of a limiting factor for me. His lack of health means that there are limitations that are put on me that means that I kind of grieve the loss that that creates in the life that I perhaps had thought that I might have. And essentially what the Emotionally Healthy Church book is saying is that we need to kind of embrace that because the danger is that if we don't, we put in place things that protect us from that grief and that loss. So that might look a little bit like perhaps my next slide. If you could whip onto that, that would be awesome. So it might be that we deny um, our our loss. It might be we minimize it. It might be that we blame somebody else for it, that we blame ourselves for it. Every culture and every family kind of deals with grief and pain differently. So maybe just have a moment to reflect, how did your family of origin deal with pain, with grief, with loss? For me and my family, um, we tried to hide it away. There were a lot of no-go areas for me as a child. Some of the difficult things that happened in my family were well hidden away from us. And some of them took until I was 50 years old to actually uncover and begin to find out about my dad left when I was three. And we were told a story, which at 50 years old I discovered was not the story of my childhood, of my uh, family of origin, actually. It had been changed and shifted, but in changing and shifting, it also became an absolute no-go area. So for me, you know, the only time I ever heard about my dad was when I exhibited some of his behaviours. So my, um, my family would say, well, actually, you, you're, you're behaving just like your dad. And that was really difficult for me as a child, because how did I know actually what he was like? Because actually he left when I was five. I hardly remembered him. So it was all shifted away. And that meant that it took me a long time, really, one, to get to grips with what had actually happened in my family. But it also meant for me, there were a lot of behaviors that I began to um, participate in because uh, actually I wasn't approaching uh, or didn't have that understanding that really would have helped me. And it wasn't till the point where I got to the point that I could grieve what I didn't have and embrace it and learn through it that actually I think I began to heal better from that situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the danger is that what we do, particularly in our culture, I think, is that rather than heading in and embracing grief and embracing loss, what we tend to do is we find ways to abandon it. The way that I find most people deal with it is through various forms of addiction. And that could be really addicted or might be slightly addicted. But just think about things like, you know, when you're you're feeling troubled, how often do you switch on Netflix uh, and sit and watch 
the TV and just kind of blob out uh, in front of in front of the TV. It might be it might be games. It might be um, it might be alcohol. It might be tablets. It could be recreational drugs. A whole variety of different things. And the whole essence of those is that what they do is they subdue the feelings that we really don't want to deal with as people. And to some degree, church enables that. So because we quite often have a poor theology of um, dealing with anger and sadness and uh, dealing with those difficult situations, then we tend to just want to put a really brave face on things. So how often are you at church when you go and somebody comes up to you and goes, how are you? And you go, oh, I'm really fine. (laughs) And the reality is that actually you're not really fine. And in some situations, it is the best thing to go, actually, I'm fine. But if we don't deal with those things which are making us not fine, then actually we remain in that place of deep, um, deep brokenness. We also tend to give out an impression that it is unspiritual for us to be dealing with anger and sadness and grief. Because we're God's people, we know that ultimately we have hope. We know who ultimately wins the battle of good and evil, don't we? All of these things. But that doesn't mean to say that we don't have to gr- have, have um, the right to grieve and the right to be upset, the right to feel hurt and in pain. And in actual fact, if we look at the Bible, then the very opposite is true. So we've just read through all about Job's griefs and Job's losses, haven't we? And I'd like to um, use the kind of framework that, um, that we have in the book in terms of how we might embrace this kind of whole theology of grieving. So if we could skip on to that one. Yeah. So this is how Scazzaro says that we should think about dealing with our grief and our loss. First of all, he says, pay attention. So don't be just kind of rushing off and thinking that you can just forget about it, you can hide it away, as we did in our family. Embrace it, pay attention to what's going on. Two-thirds of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, most of them written by David, are Psalms of lament. I love the fact that David complains to God about his situation. I love that he shouts at God, he rages at God, he prays really wild prayers, he tells God exactly what he's thinking and feeling, even when he doesn't think he can really believe in God anymore. It's all written down, it's all there. God gives it to us so that actually we can go there when we're going through grief and loss. And those of us who have the privilege of walking alongside people with grief and loss, I mean, how many times do you end up pointing people to the Psalms, Nathaniel? Just loads of times, because every emotion is in there. It's always a great place um, to go. It's um, the one prayer book, a worship manual in all of Scripture. Um, David wrote poetry after the death of Saul, when he laments his best friend, Jonathan, dying, when he laments the sin that he'd carried out. We've got all of that going on in our Scriptures. We're encouraged to pay attention to our grief and to take it to God. We've got an entire Old Testament book called Lamentations 
uh, where you've got all of this lamenting that's going on about life and all of the tri- all of the crises that uh, that we come across. We see ex- uh, Ezekiel lamenting. We see Daniel grieving. We see Jesus weeping over Lazarus and crying out in grief over Jerusalem. Biblically, we are taught through our scriptures to pour out our feelings and our losses to God, not just to shelve them away. Secondly, he says, we should wait in the confusing in-between. Some of us call this a kind of liminal space when the, the death, the loss has been noticed, you've paid attention to it, but actually there's this space um, that then happens. And I don't know about you, but I absolutely hate waiting for things. Waiting, I think, is <laughs> find it just so difficult. At the moment, I'm driving three times as far to get into work in the morning because I don't want to sit in a traffic queue. <laughs> Anybody else do that? You know, you go to the airport, what do you want to do? You're hanging around all the time. You really just want to get on your way. If, I'm, if I've made a decision that I want to do something, then I don't want to be in that waiting, po- waiting zone. But that waiting zone for God and for us is really, really important. Again, if we look at the Psalms, we see how, um, how David is being pursued by Saul. And time and time again, he's, he's kind of lamenting this waiting period. He's hiding in the desert from his enemies. He knows that God's good. He knows that ultimately God is going to fulfill the promise that David will become king. But in the waiting period, there's this immense struggle that's going on. And when we experience our kind of losses and setbacks, then God too invites us to wait. And if we don't do that waiting, then actually there can be some quite difficult things that happen. And if, again, if we look at our Bibles, then um, Abraham gets frustrated after waiting 11 years for God's promise of a son. Uh, and so he ends up having a baby outside of his marriage with Hagar. In doing so, he birthed the baby Ishmael. Birthing Ishmael's is common in both our churches and in our personal lives when we get bored of waiting and try to bring God's promises in rather than waiting for him to deliver. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So waiting in the confusing in-between time. And then thirdly, let the old birth the new. I had a physician, um, I'd, I, um, when I was in my curacy, I was moved churches so that I could um, grow a, a church. And one of the first things that happened in the church was that one of the significant uh, congregation members, her husband, died really suddenly. Uh, he was coming home from a trip from the pub and he fell down a bank and was killed instantly. And uh, the, my initial contact was they, her husband was missing uh, and then later that same day, um, it was confirmed that he was he was dead. And it was one of the first kind of tragic deaths that I'd walked through somebody with. I'd walked through some other kinds of deaths, but this was the first kind of tragedy. And for this poor woman, it completely wrecked her life. And she went through the normal processes of grief uh, for the, you know the first year or so, but she could never move beyond. And there were so many different 
bits of life that you could see that God was giving to her. Literally a few months later, she had a grandchild that was born. She had family who were living close to her. But she couldn't move beyond the grief that absolutely gripped her about her husband. And I've not been through that loss. But I do know that it became something that was really unhealthy to her. Uh, And I think we have to be really careful that the grief doesn't end up over-consuming us. But actually we remember um, the central message of Jesus, the central message of our Bible is all about resurrection and transformation. And that doesn't mean that we're glib. You know, I would never have said to her, come on, you need to just break out of this or anything like that. My job was to journey with her and to keep trying to point her to the bits of life, the bits of resurrection that Jesus was bringing. But we have to be attuned to that, even in those places of grief, (coughs) excuse me, and liminality. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, It remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. We have to remember that resurrection only comes out of death. So we need to be paying attention, waiting on God in our losses and our grief. No matter how long it takes, allowing God over time to birth and to resurrect new things in our lives. There's many rich fruits that blossom in our lives as a result of embracing our losses. The greatest is our relationship with God. Because when we grieve in God's way, then we actually are changed forever. It's one of the ways that God brings us into spiritual maturity. It's hard. It's not easy. But it's one of the ways that God grows us. Loss marks the place where self-knowledge and powerful transformation happen if we have the courage to fully participate in the process. So I said earlier, we all have lots of deaths which happen within our lives. Some of those are the deaths of significant people, but some of them are other deaths. They might be the death of something that we'd hoped for, a dream, a a job that we'd, you know, we, we absolutely love that comes to an end. We all have to embrace these things. The choice for us, though, is whether those deaths become for us terminal, so they crush our life and our spirit, or whether they open us up into new possibilities and depths of transformation in Christ. Amen.